Hey there, friends and fiends. Flood here. This release is technically not part of Season 3, but while I'm hard at work at editing our final investigation findings this year, I wanted to release a little bonus material to tide you over. Earlier this year, I had the opportunity to sit down with N.K. Davis for a conversation about high strangeness and Sasquatch. Originally, this bonus episode was released exclusively on our Patreon feed, but since next week is the Natchez Bigfoot birthday bash, of which both M.K. and I will be presenting at, I wanted to get this one out there as a little bit of a teaser, because, you know, I guess November is Sasquatch season for me now. If all goes well, we'll be recording the presentations from the birthday bash and releasing them on the main feed in a couple of weeks. Following that, we will return with our multi-part series on our investigation of the Uinta Basin in Utah. Some technical notes here. This conversation was recorded while I was traveling last December through January. I had to make do with what equipment I had, so the sound quality is a little off, and there's a lot of traffic that pops up in the background occasionally, but if you ask me, it's worth a listen. There are some fascinating stories from MK here, and I hope we'll get the chance to hear from him on the main feed in the very, very near future. Alright, let's get to it, and please enjoy the first ever Patreon unlock for the public I've ever done. Please don't expect too many of these freebies, though. XV Planus is part of the Green Mushroom Podcast Network. Hey there, friends and fiends. Flood here. As most of you know, I took some time off to go on a bit of a paranormal holiday road trip. What you might not know is that the events of that trip will be discussed at length in Season 3, which will begin airing sometime in late February. Season 3 will be tackling a considerable amount of haunted locations that, in all probability, you've never heard of. I'm hard at work processing the data from the investigations that took place over the course of winter, but I wanted to hop on here and give you a little snippet of some bonus content born from a happy coincidence. One that would put me in the same place, at the same time, with M.K. Davis, astrophotographer, historian, and Bigfoot researcher. Through the generosity of old friends and convenient timing, I was lucky enough to sit down with MK for a couple of hours to discuss Sasquatch, Native Americans, the connection between them, American history, and the high strangeness that is associated with sightings of such cryptids. Guys, I really wish I hit record the moment that I walked into MK's home, and I wish I would have kept it recording for another 45 minutes after this interview ends, because this conversation is incomplete. I could have gone on for several more hours, easily. We just started barreling into it right off the bat before I even pressed the record button, so please excuse this odd intro to a truly fascinating conversation that, I hope, will be the first of many visits from M.K. Davis here on XD Planus. Please excuse the less-than-studio quality of this interview. I'm still learning how to do all of this craziness from the road, and it was a bit of an impromptu recording. Be sure to stick around after the main conversation for some more information, a season three tease, and a few special announcements like how you can come and join me and the team in Colorado for a two-night investigation. Alrighty, without further ado, come and join MK and me for a journey into the stranger side of Sasquatch territory. strange things happen. I was in Death Valley. Uh, I saw a, a looked like a mine way up on the side of a mountain. It was a, a cave or I could see it from the road. It was a speck. 
and I called my friend. He was in the car in front, and I, I told him, I said, I'm going to stop. Go up there. He didn't want to go. Uh, I went up there, and it looked like an old mine, and I went in it, and I called him and told him about it, and, and he decided he did want to go. We went back up there. We found these real strange tracks. Uh... <clears throat> I don't know, it looked, looked like a, a giant bird or something. It had three toes. Oh, really? Yeah, and it, it was 115 degrees that day. <laughs> and he decided he wants to mix up plaster and, and cast those tracks. Mm-hmm. So we went up there, and he casted the tracks. And then he goes and lays in the entrance to that mine with his feet propped up and I took his picture and when I look at the picture there was a whole bunch of weirdness it was and some of it was uh, you know lens flares but some of it wasn't obviously mm-hmm. and he said he could see it but with his eyes the the other stuff uh, it was a metallic looking thing, like an orb or something, yeah. but it was like silvery. Really? Yeah. And the next day, you know, we had made our way on up the valley, and I took his picture and I said, Don, your eyes. And his eyes had turned into like snake eyes, they were slits. Up and down, up and down slits. And uh, I took several photos of it, and they stayed that way for probably a week. Mm. He goes to the doctor. The doctor says that he must have been near death because, you know, your, your muscles that make your iris, you know, when you get right about to die, they turn loose you know Another. yeah and you you begin to get dilated eyes or whatever you know uh that was the explanation the doctor had for it mm. but i don't i don't know if i buy that or not you know it's it was strange it was weird I mean, he didn't and he wasn't near death though like he was no, well no he didn't appear to be he was running around yeah but, i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily yeah. buy that either yeah it, that was just kind of weird. I, I don't know. I'm not really sure that was a mine. Uh, it it really there was other reasons for digging into the side of a mountain, more ancient. Out in front of it, there was a ring, a rock, ring of rocks mm. that was so old that they had turned uh, the color of the rock had turned to a burnished brown. Yeah. You could flip one over and look, and it's bright orange under the bottom. Huh. So it is. They were ancient. Yeah. And it was in front of that mine. Hmm. So I, I know that it wasn't like in the 1800s. This was like BC stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, ancient. Yeah, ancient, ancient stuff. So that that was an ancient mine. And I know that shamans would mummify themselves by going in there and alive and having themselves sealed up 
and they're going to their trance. And Drinking that tea or whatever. Right. They do that, and then they'll, 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 they'll pass away and sitting right in that position they want to be in and they would mummify. They had so many days, like 177 days or something like that, they would take, unseal it. And if he was not mummified, they would bury him. If he was mummified, they would leave him there. Or it would be, I don't know what they did with him, it was a ritual. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it looked like that might have been one of the places. Hmm. You know. And this is up in Death Valley, right? Yeah, this is just outside Death Valley, uh, in a near a place, uh, not too far from Shoshone. Okay. Uh, on Highway 123, I think it was. And this strange, when when I was up there, Don didn't want to go at first, and he, he was down there, and a man pulled up. And this man said that he had come from Guatemala or somewhere and he said and he ended up he asked Don to pray for him because he had troubles and Don is not a religious person so he didn't want to but he asked him please pray for me and Don prayed just kind of a general prayer and the man says my troubles are now your troubles and he says our paths will cross again and then he gave him some uh, uh, ice, you know, that he had. Huh. Did their paths ever cross again? Not yet. I don't think so. Not yet, at least. <laughs> uh, the whole the whole thing was was just a completely strange experience. The desert is full of surreal experiences. Yeah, I think I we can all agree I, with that. I don't. I don't know why, but it it seems to be. Yeah. All right, well, I'm going to do a quick yeah. little intro here. Welcome to XV Planus. Greetings, friends and fiends. Welcome back to XV Planus. I'm your host, Flood, and today I'm very excited to be sitting down with M.K. Davis, a well-known Bigfoot researcher and enthusiast. M.K., thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Um, I was lucky enough to just kind of stumble uh, uh, across this little nugget of information that you were going to be somewhat in my path as I'm doing this paranormal holiday road trip. So I, I asked a mutual friend of ours to kind of set us up a, a chance to sit down and talk. Um, before we get rolling deep and hard onto this, uh, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, fill our audience in about who you are. Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm, what I'm known for is my work on the uh, famous... Patterson Bigfoot film, uh, but uh, I, I kind of backed into that in the early days. I, I really wasn't a Bigfooter or anything like that. I was into astrophotography, which is taking pictures with a telescope of deep space, and uh, you learn a lot about film when you're when you're doing that. Mm. This was in the old days with film, and. Uh, the internet was kind of a new thing, just up and running. And uh, one day I, I saw on the internet this fantastic photo of a Bigfoot that came off of the Patterson Bigfoot film. And I thought to myself, I mean, how how do they get this this wonderful image here? 
off a film that's that bad because mm -hmm. everything I've seen of it was uh, grainy, shaky. Almost unwatchable. Yeah, almost unwatchable. And uh, I should not have been able to get that off that film. I said, well, there must be a better version of it. Right. And it, I, I got... I got interested in it uh, just through that technical aspect, and I, I, I decided that, well, I'm going to try to launch an inquiry and see if I can locate that film. I feel like that if I were to get the images, that I could uh, process them much the way you do an astrophoto and improve them enough that it would tell its own story. Uh, it's it's it was at that time it was kind of uh, uh, in limbo, mm -hmm. you know. It, it had been argued with, about between people over and over again, and almost there the point was of no stalemate, no conclusions. Mm -hmm. And uh, I said, well, if 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 I can kind of push it into a little higher quality, uh, it, it, you might see a zipper, or you might. Right. I see, uh, you know, muscles moving or eyes blinking or something right. uh, that would give you an indication that it was whether it's real or not. So I, I began that inquiry and I ended up tra traveling up there to Oregon and uh, I gave a speech there with the Western Bigfoot Society and uh, made some contacts and the contacts was able to, they were able to get me uh, some of the real sharp platen images off the film. Platen meaning a, a, just a paper photograph. And uh, they were fabulous. I mean, they were everything that I thought they would be. You know, uh, and so I said, well, that that master copy is out there somewhere. And, and I ended up traveling this country over and meeting people. And I met Miss Patterson herself, the widow of Roger Patterson, who took the film. And she uh, uh, allowed me to scan, uh, I think it was five transparencies off the original. And they were, I mean, just clear, beautiful photos. And uh, you can't get that off... Uh, the, the the public version right yeah yeah, yeah uh, not available uh, so as time went by I managed to accumulate the entire film and I, I processed the images one by one uh, removed lensing defects and boosted the quality sharpness uh, probably twenty five or thirty percent and then. I brought them all to the center, eliminated the hand motion, and I hit preview about two in the morning, <laughs> and my jaw dropped. You know, it shocked me how how good it was. And you you get when you get a twenty five percent boost, and you put them all in a cinematic form and run them as a movie, mm -hmm. that boost is is not. 25% it's more oh yeah yeah because you get that cinematic effect yet your mind holds the previous image while the current image right. <laughs> is showing so it interlaces them all and uh and so it surprised me it caught me off guard and you can see the biomechanics on it uh, and the muscles moving in the back scapula 
Yeah. You know, uh, up and down the back. And like uncanny detail calf, compared to calf, what we've calf muscles. You can even see the two tendons underneath in the knee socket there and behind really? there. Yeah. Then uh, I realized that uh, it's it's not much way that the thing is a is, is hoaxed. It is what it is, but it it opened up other questions and mm. other inquiries uh, that over time took me to other places. And uh, uh, that what is the nature of it? Mm-hmm. And 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 so you begin to explore that. Uh, I, I visited Indian reservations and and I had uh, conferences with uh, tribal elders and to get the Native American view, uh, which is an important one. I yeah. think often gets left out. They have a longer history mm-hmm. with it. Uh, uh, I went to the Hooper Reservation. I talked to the, went to Karooks, uh, the the Yurok's. Uh, that's the three big tribes there in Northern California. And so, uh, I, what I wanted to do was to get uh, a well-rounded idea of what the general thoughts of they have of it what it is and i learned quite a bit of things about it they said that in old times ancient times they were the the bigfoot or sasquatch Mm -hmm. were living right among the indians all around and they weren't hiding or anything you know and they they traded with them uh, trading was a big thing between tribes, peoples. Uh, you, you get what you want, they get what they want. Right. Uh, and so they said that ultimately they had to stop doing it because they were unreliable and dishonest. Well, the Sasquatch. Were. The Sasquatch were. Oh, really? Okay. Uh, they would. Uh, they would end up. They would bring something, and then. You you set your stuff down, then they would grab it all and run. <laughs> you know. Whoa. Uh, they they would steal your the fish out of their nets, the salmon. You know, they a salmon runs were huge for stocking up on food and things. They would dry the salmon. Well, the Sasquatch would just take it out and eat it raw. Right. You know, and uh, like a bear would. But this all right. So this is. Uh... But up until this point, like there was, uh, there was more of a communal aspect, right? Yeah, right, right. They, they, they ultimately broke off relations with them and trade with them because they, they, they were a threat. They, 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 they would not keep their word, and then they would, they were a threat to kidnap women. Oh. Okay. Yeah. They, that's actually one that pops up. In right. And they, it's 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 a. Uh, long-standing thing and uh when europeans came to the area they brought firearms with them the sasquatch were terrified and they had a conference with the hoopa and said that we're going to the high country and he says do not tell the white man where we are if you do, we'll come down and we'll steal everything you got. And to this day, 
they hesitate to tell that story to white people because they're afraid that they'll bring them down on them. Uh, they hesitate to tell them they're over on this mountain or over here. You know, they they say they know where they are, but they won't they won't reveal it. Uh, so I take that, you know, as a an outsider. I take that as to be, you know, unless something comes along to tell me differently as the truth that they told me, mm-hmm. you know. So it's uh, it's it's been noted and, and written down, you know. See, that's fascinating yeah. because I've I've heard of uh, plenty of interactions with Native American tribes with the Sasquatch, but I've never heard like that one in particular because the vast majority of them often refer to Sasquatch as you know the wise man of the mountain, and it's usually. Uh, more often than not, you hear the stories that the Native Americans held held them in high regard. I have never heard this take on it. That's something. Yeah. Well, this this came from the uh, the tribal council. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was straight from the authority there. Right. Uh, it 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 surprised me as well, because if if you're wrestling with your mind with what a Sasquatch is, and then you hear something like that. You, you run into problems, you know, with that, uh, you know, this this can't be, if that's true, this it, they can't be, you know, a giant ape. Hmm. You know, that's that's more of a, on the human uh, type qualities, right. you know, uh, except that they, they didn't have any need to wear any clothes. or They didn't make bows, but they would steal your bow. <laughs> really? Yeah, and they would try to use it, uh, you know, if they could steal the arrows, but they wouldn't make any. That's so weird. Yeah, they they were just they just lived off the land and what they could steal or what they could barter for. Uh, and so this change, uh, it, as you suggested, it came around the time that, that the white man came over, right? Right, right. Okay. They were terrified of the guns, uh, uh, as they should have been. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it 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 they were. You could be a bully being that size. You can intimidate, mm-hmm. but you couldn't intimidate a gun. Right, yeah. You know, so uh, it kind of took away that element from them. And they began They began to be intimidated. Uh, the, the Hoopa and the Yurok and the Karuks, they, whenever they tried to put them on a reservation in Washington State, they hid in the mountains. And the cavalry went up there, tried to find them, couldn't find them. Hmm. So they eventually to- let them stay there. They made their reservation in that valley, the Hoopa Valley. And uh, so they have a long, ancient history right. with Sasquatch. They were never removed, hmm. you know, from their original ancestral homeland. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so they like the vast majority. They, they had, right, the vast majority had to go somewhere else, you know, so that 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 chain of knowledge was broken, you know, when that happened. But the they these they were there always in that particular valley, hmm. you know, the Hoopas. So that definitely lends some credence to the the theory that. Uh, Sasquatch is definitely like flesh and blood of this world uh, is part of the natural order of things or you know was before I, I've heard I've heard both 
but you know it, it's uh, in in my experience and in in my uh, outreach to other people and their experiences, there does seem to be an element of high strangeness. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you uh, what the uh, in the in the Bluff Creek area where the Patterson Bigfoot film was taken. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called a sacred place for all three of those tribes, and it was so sacred that when they tried to build a road in there, they formed human chains to try to prevent it. Uh, there was two peaks, one called uh, Medicine Peak, and the other called Chimney Rock. They uh, they said that. At one time, there was another type of human being living in that area that wasn't us, and I assume they were referring to Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. And they said that they returned uh, to the stars through a hole in the sky from those two peaks. Really? Yeah. Huh. Okay. And and that's why they were sacred. And to this day, they train shamans on those two peaks. So it's definitely a, a place of overwhelming power of them. Right, right. They go there because there is a there is an enhanced uh, ability to to what they look for. Is the shaman does is guidance, mm-hmm. like like anyone else on earth does. You know, if you open up the scriptures, you're looking for guidance. Right. You know, from God. And they, they're looking for guidance from uh, the Great Spirit or God uh, because it's an accentuated thing. You can go up there and there, there's some kind of energy there. And I, I've gone into Bluff Creek and I've had electronics mess up mm-hmm. in an unexplained way. Yeah. And I've the ground has been hot. Uh, going up the side of the mountain, you know, you're, you're so steep that you're using your hands mm-hmm. and you can feel the, the ground, heat. the heat coming off the ground is about a hundred degrees. Huh. Uh, so it's full of energy. And when you have energy coming to a peak, and I know static energy concentrates at points. Mm-hmm. That's why you can comb your hair and put out pieces of paper and you watch that paper flip. Right. Yeah. And, and that, that, that energy is going to the edges. Right. And it'll, it'll turn around and then stick to the cone. Uh, well, and there's something like that happening up there. And they, they can either take a drug or they can use a drum uh, or both in order to get that, uh, that vision. They're looking for a vision. And so uh, you don't have to have the drug, but the drug helps, you know, accentuate it. But that you can use a certain rhythm if you're trained, you know, just, and it will, it will do the same effect. Uh, if, you, if you don't want to have a vision, then you won't, mm-hmm. even if you take the drug or beat the drugs. But it's, it requires all three. The person has to be wanting to have it it's like the belief that it takes that psychical energy loop right yeah exactly so connect the chain. Uh, late late one night i was <coughs> i was at laugh's camp and i was just laying looking at the stars and uh two my son and my friend was they were asleep i heard chanting really it was it was two voices 
they were chanting. And I couldn't wake my friend up. I kept telling him, Don, Don, wake up, wake up. He was snoring. And uh, finally I yelled. And when he when he woke up, he startled, you know, came up. And then the chanting instantly stopped. I guess they heard me or whatever. But I asked the, the guy up there at the, the fish camp, uh, fish lake camp. And he says, yeah, they, they were training shamans up there. Okay. You know, I, we had gone into that area. You know, so I got to hear something privileged, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And you were, you were just right on the edge of something truly magical happening yeah, up there. Right, right. And, you know, the, the, we're in Bigfoot territory. The two creeks, Bluff Creek and Notice Creek, very famous for not, not just Bigfoot, but also other things like the giant salamander. Mm -hmm. You know, they've been seen. I saw one. I saw about a three-foot-long salamander. Really? Yeah. Good God. I mean, it was it was down in a pool about 10 feet deep. It was snow melting. It was crystal clear. I, I, I didn't know that I had seen anything that odd because I'm not from there. But I went over and I told Don. I said, Don, at first I thought it was a huge fish. And I said, there's a big old fish in that pool over there. And Don thought, I, when I said big. Yeah, you think like you know, maybe eight to ten inches. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, small. But when I we went up Notice Creek, and here comes a, a salamander run between my legs. He was about a foot long. Good God. Uh, and I said, Don, that's what I saw in that pool. And he liked it, freaked out. Right? <laughs> he said, why didn't you tell me? I said, I tried to, Don. That's unnatural. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the Indians say that they have giant crawfish in there, you know, bigger than a lobster. But I hadn't seen one of those. Yeah, better uh, hope that we don't find those because I'll be cooking it up real fast. <laughs> well, well th that's, that's why I call that area the Mystic Garden. Mm-hmm. You know, that is seen to be a mysterious place. Uh, and, and maybe maybe there's something to, you know, their legends and stuff. Uh, but but anyways, you know, my, my, uh, my uh, inquiry into that subject started innocently enough, and it ends up taking me to places like that. Right, yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, where places where I did not anticipate and didn't. You know, and I realize, you know, that, you know, you I've learned something that I could have learned nowhere else, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's pretty crazy. Once you start going down these paths and, and looking into things that are unexplained, it just, it opens up a whole new perception of the world around us that, you know, we didn't really have before or, or that we've only heard about secondhand. But once you're actually there stuck in the middle of these things and experiencing them firsthand that's that's something else yeah it, it's a I, I, it was unforgettable mm. unforgettable experience uh, I didn't get a recording of any of it I just listened maybe I maybe in some measure I was experiencing something similar you know maybe I was maybe that their chanting may have actually worked for me. Well, the first yeah. thing that I thought of when you said that is your friend not being able to wake up. Maybe that was meant just for you, and that's why it stopped once you actually Perhaps, perhaps. Yeah. It was, we're 25 or 30 miles away from 
the nearest road. And, you know, it's just, we're in pristine, you know, forest with forest energies everywhere. Untouched places. Yeah, untouched places that, that they Indians had tried everything they knew to keep white people out of there. Right. You know, uh, and, and, and this, even, as, even as recent as 2010, they had formed a human chain. They wanted to cut some redwoods off of that one of those two peaks. The Indians, I think they were successful this that time. You know, they couldn't they couldn't really give a real valid reason for doing it. They were just greedy. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, that that's that's greed is one of the things that Indians, Native Americans, they. Uh, they consider it to be, you know, uh, destructive, mm -hmm. very destructive, and and they have a legend of a Bigfoot type creature that that a person can become that creature because he has succumbed to greed, uh, and it's called a Wendigo. Oh yes, you've heard of a Wendigo? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and that's mostly along the northern tier of the United States, along the yeah. Great Lakes, over to the Upper Mississippi Valley. But uh, the Wendigo, the the British colonists, you know, at first they everything was kosher and friendly, mm -hmm. but as time went by, they became uh, kind of land hungry. And they were running Indians off and remaking them go west. Yeah. Uh, and so they began to consider them as having become Wendigo mm -hmm. uh, in their spiritual view of things. Yeah, they, they were taken that, over. That once, once they become a Wendigo, they become very, very dangerous. You know, that's yeah. what they, they, were, they were saying that telling each other that the British had become Wendigo. It, it's, you, you can't do anything with them anymore. They're just wanting more and more and more. Right. You can get an agreement and they'll violate it, you know, because of their greed. So that that was their concept. And, and the, the British didn't understand that, and, but the, all the Native Americans did. Mm -hmm. You know, and who's to say that they were wrong? Have you, have you ever heard of a, a shaking tent? No, I don't think so. The shamans would get a tent, construct a tent in the middle of it. It would be a tube, uh, and they'd light a fire inside that tube, and they would go sit by the fire, and they would do the same thing they did upon the peaks. Mm -hmm. And the that tube would start to do this. And it would get more and more and more and more hmm. until it was slapping the ground on either side, huh. and and then the the shaman would levitate. And this was viewed by by British. Mm -hmm. The British were invited. They went in there and saw it. It ran out when he levitated. <laughs> so, I'm done. No, that's too weird for me. You know that. You know you can say. You can say it's all a spiritual concept, but if you come up off the ground, that's not spiritual. Mm. You know, it's somehow or another the spiritual is intermeshed with the physical. 
Exactly. You know, uh, and and I think that's kind of their what they think Wendigo event ultimately does. It actually becomes a creature. Yeah. You know, uh, so uh, something to be feared, uh, cannibalistic. Mm-hmm. You know, it'll gobble you up like greed will. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> It's not just a metaphor. It's not, no, it's not. No, it's, it's not. And we, we lost all that, like you said. We, we, yeah. None of that. None of that ever got looked into or explained or properly, you know, to see how they accomplished that. But I know that the shaking tent was all the way down from the top tier of the country all the way down to the Gulf Coast. Really? Yeah. I'm going to have to look further yeah. into that. That sounds fascinating. Sh- shaking tent. Yeah. Going back to what you said about how there's there's elements of, of high strangeness kind of surrounding uh, Sasquatch lore and experiences, I 100% agree with that because in the research that I've done in the last few years, I'm starting to hear more and more stories about people who have had uh, encounters with Bigfoot that seem to be paired with other strange phenomena simultaneously. Like um, people often discuss uh, kind of seeing portals uh, open up in in the sky to the point where you know you're looking through and you see a completely different sky, like crystal blue, but you're standing there in the middle of the night and you're just seeing this one little slice of daylight. Or um, there's been a lot of stories of uh, Bigfoot encounters being paired with UFOs of all things. So there's there is something strange about all of that stuff and and how some of this crosses over together. Well, the hole in the sky thing is be similar. Yeah. Uh, now, have you ever seen the the hand with an eye in the palm? Mm-hmm. It's a symbol, you know, that Indians make. Uh, it's it's not likely that that's an eye. That that is a the sun disk through a hole in the sky. Mm, okay. You know, uh, it's an opening, mm-hmm. and that that's why that's there. It's a it's a spiritual. You know, there's a dimension there that you get a little vision of yeah you know which is what they're looking for is a vision exactly yeah. you know going back to the yeah. thing that they were doing at the uh the chimney rock that you mentioned right earlier. right yeah. you're looking they're looking for a vision and uh, to get guidance you know something something to tell them and and all, all the mound builders did it they, they go on top of the mounds and they're looking for the vision they're looking for that energy and the the shamans picked the spot to build a mound, so they they were trained and they could feel. Mm-hmm. Like this is right. I can feel they, the they, this is this is that's why they would people would scratch their heads and say, why did they build? Why did they build it here? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but it's uh, it's an energy there that they can feel, and sometimes the energy might be uh, out of the ground. Sometimes it may be. Due to the fact that there's two rivers coming together, mm-hmm. uh, well, you know, you get that water hitting water like that. That's a lot of energy. It's, it's, it, it creates a flow of ions. Mm-hmm. You can you can feel it. I mean, people feel it. It's a that's the thing. They were yeah. so much more like trained and and naturally tuned to they were, those types right, of right. They were it was they were they acutely felt it. Yeah. You know, so you know. White people, they didn't put a lot of to understanding it. They uh, they they wiped it out so fast. Uh, they considered the shamans to be like witchcraft, you know. 
Right. Uh, and if and they had the backing of, of the church, you know, if, if, you know, get rid of them because they're yeah, pagan they're witches. Yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, without ever getting that understanding of what what they were looking to. You know, and meanwhile, on the East Coast, we're uh, we're sending uh, hundreds and or dozens of women to fires for being witches. You know, it's <laughs> yeah, we, they they were in a possible situation. Yeah. Uh, even even Yazoo City here, they had a witch allegedly. Uh, That's true. Well, yeah. if you if you just look back, she was hanging around where the old mounds used to be. There used to be mounds in the downtown area before they built Yazoo City, and they they dozed them down, and they found these giant bones. They were they were bones of like eight or nine feet tall people. Really? Yeah. Uh, they disintegrated uh, after getting contact with the air. They went ahead and dozed them on down, or they didn't use mules, I guess. It's four dozers, but. She hung around that thing, and I guess she she wouldn't leave it until, you know, they forced her to, and then you know she gets mad and makes a threat to the town. <laughs> you know, because she becomes the witch of Yazoo. Right. Yeah. But she may have started out as a ultra sensitive type of shaman shamanistic type person. Yeah. This might, you know, might have that element in them. Right. Somewhere. It's considered, if you didn't understand it, you, you'd think they were a witch. Mm. Yeah. Well, I love that we're bringing uh, mounds into this conversation yeah. because uh, one of my next stops on this trip is I'm going to be doing uh, an investigation and some research on uh, Emerald Mound near Natchez, Mississippi. I've been there. Yeah. It's beautiful. I mean, I grew up in that area, so I spent a lot of time there uh, as a kid, and I was always drawn to it. Like any time I had a Saturday or something, nothing going on, it's a bright sunny day, and let's just go out to the mountain. Well, the, you know, the Natchez Indians were very different. Mm -hmm. They weren't anything like the other Indians around, uh, and and they 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 were they could be uh, violent. Uh, the the chief was called the Sun, just like you look up at the sun. Mm -hmm. They called him the Sun. He, they carried him everywhere he went. He was, I mean, he was just like, I mean, the, the ulti ultimate person. Yeah. Uh, and he had a, I think it was his brother that was head of the military, and he was called the, the Tattooed Serpent. Whenever the chief would die, the son would pass away. They, everybody that took care of him, all of his servants, everybody would be put to death with him. Uh, they would take him up to the top of that mound and they would get this uh, type of tobacco that was 10, per 10 times more powerful than, than the type that, that was around, around now. Uh, but they roll it up, they mash it into a, a mush in a mortar and pestle mm -hmm. and roll it into a ball and they would give each person, they would put these cords around their neck and it'd be somebody with a cord, a loop on the right, somebody on the left. And they would give this person three of those and he'd swallow them. And he'd start to go into a trance. And as he faded off into unreality or, or whatever he went to, they would cut his hair off. Oh man. 
and he never knew when he made the transition. You know, whoa, <laughs> he he. It was a, a merciful. They were doing it not to not to out of anger or bitterness, but just to put him on the other side where he could continue his duties mm -hmm. with the son. And uh, they think about it is uh, when once they once they the guy the son dies, all the servants have to go and put their own children to death. It was their they had three days to do it. Because if they didn't, there would be no one to take care of them when they got put to death. So they would bring their dead children at the, to the door of the, of the uh, son's cabin and lay them there, and they would just pile up. And sometimes upwards of a, a hundred people would be sacrificed. Good God, really? Well, yeah, that way because of extended families and things like that. Okay. And then there were volunteers who volunteered. Uh, I'll go yeah. and help them on the yeah. journey. Yeah. Uh, they considered an honor. I had no idea that they they were that intense with their ritualistic uh, practices. Granted, it's been years since I've actually looked into the natural Indians. It's one of the things I'm going to be doing on this trip. They use they use uh, the word how, and I always heard all my life, you know, how, but they they it's spelled for them H O U, and they they got they. If you approached the sun, you had to clap your hands nine times and say how nine times. How, 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 how. I don't have no idea. That was in the logbooks of the French. Really? Yeah. They didn't understand why, but they, they logged it. Huh. Uh, no real explanation? No, no. How, 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 how. Uh, huh. Only they knew. You know, they didn't discuss it with the French. Right. You know, it was, uh, uh, they, they were different, very different people. And uh, uh, eventually the other Indian tribes th saw an opportunity to, to get rid of them. So they, they joined forces with the French mm -hmm. and, uh, and wiped them out in, in that third French war, uh, which the Yazoo Indians participated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's nuts. Yeah, it's a, it's a, we, we missed a lot. <laughs> we missed an awful lot. Yeah. I, when I was going to school, they just told you about the Yazoo, and they tell you, you they tell you about a few tribes. There, there's probably 20 or 30 tribes. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, different people, the Quinnipieces, uh, the Quapaws, the Chachiumas. You know, it, it, it goes on and on and on, and they all had their different customs and stuff. You know, it, it uh, and and uh, the oldest Bigfoot report in North America, bar none, was in Natchez, Mississippi, by the French Jesuit priest. That's right. Who wrote it in his log. Yep. And uh, is that really the the oldest? It's three hundred and one year old today. I mean, this year. Okay, so short short of uh, Native American stories, yeah, that's the first. one. That is the got. first one that entered was entered into text. Okay, awesome. you know that's great <laughs> because they they were working for the French government and they were under under the rules where you you we want to know what's over there. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to know what what we can exploit. You know, we want to know you know what we can. 
established trade for. You know, you've got to go to every camp, every Indian tribe, mm -hmm. and uh, and write down what you see. <laughs> and they did it. They did that. And so they ended up with the earliest report. And, uh, I'm going to have to track that down yeah. and read more about what they logged because I'm sure there's tons of interesting stuff there that got lost to lost yeah. their time. They have a, a group of people that live with the Natchez and the Natchez claim to have adopted them. And I don't know what adopted means because every other group was assimilated. <laughs> right. but, the, but these were adopted. Okay. And, and they're called the Grigros. And the reason they call them Grigros is because that's what they said all the time. Nobody knew could understand them. They Weird. Yeah, they oh, call, where were they located now? They they lived on the Natchez Trace side. Okay. You know, you got the Grand Village there. Right. Yeah. Okay, well, your approach the from the Mississippi River was one group and then the uh, they had three or four tribes living up on you go down the creek go back east and you get close to the Natchez Trace and Emerald Mound, then those tribes lived over there. Okay. And the Natchez got sandwiched between the French on the riverside and the British on the Natchez Trace side. Oh, man. They, were all, <laughs> they were all in their ear. Right. Constantly. You know, uh, the British wanted to, to tried to talk them into entering the slave trade. Uh, where they would go and visit the Quapaws or the Quinnipieces or and try to get slaves, mm -hmm. you know, to sail back in the Carolinas. Right. Yeah. Uh, they weren't having that though. <laughs> I, I, it was all a political yeah. thing, I, uh, which they never, never taught in school. Oh yeah, the, the finer details of that whole stretch of American history, like this is this the. What we get taught in school these days are like the broad strokes and whatever is going to make us look good. We we don't really do the hard digging anymore, which I find to be really unfortunate. Yeah, uh, it is because you don't learn much about the Indians because they they put them on a reservation and it's still they seem foreign. Right. You know, if you're not living on the reservation, they seem foreign to you. You know. They keep off to themselves, and they do what they do, and uh, and, and and there's not a lot of of inter interactions, right. you know, with them, yeah. uh, like it should be. Uh, and, and I think in those days, right there, where they had that opportunity, they blew it. Greed, mm -hmm. greed. Wendigo. <laughs> Wendigo. The Wendigo got in there. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine what other, uh, you know, what, what other amazing hidden truths of this country that there were before we lost all that information? Like, so Native Americans had uh, interactions with Bigfoot. What if the Thunderbird, what, what if there was, you know, uh, some truth to that? Um, I, I don't dismiss it out of hand, I tell you that. Yeah. Because... Uh, it, if you look, it was kind of a universal belief but between, you know, from across cross tribal belief. Uh, people up that Mississippi Valley would draw Thunderbirds, and then there were Thunderbirds in the Pacific Northwest as well. Uh, and 
I don't I don't dismiss it out of hand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and there's even modern times modern times people have claimed to have seen them. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I mean, there were uh, reports of it from um, European settlers dating as far back as uh, mid 1600s, and some some as recent as like late 1800s. I think at one point somebody apparently has a picture of one somewhere that you know. Yeah, well, got it, lost it's the time. <laughs> it's it's very it's very difficult when you take a photo of something in the sky to get proper perspective. Well, it was. Dead. Like they, they oh, it. oh, oh, yeah. okay, got you, got you. That's different. If you could, st- you know, get next to it, that's, that helps. Right, yeah, especially with the other cameras back yeah. today. It's like, can you stay there in the sky for two minutes for me? <laughs> Just hover. Thank you. Right? Just hover. <laughs> right. Uh, there was one that followed a plane in Alaska, uh, a Cessna plane, bush plane. Yeah. Uh, and they were like, it was flying over right here. They, it was, they said it was as long as the plane. Mm. You know, uh, that's something that qualify. Yeah. You know, like Thunderbird that had to be one of them. That's that's something that I would like to do some digging on here in the uh, the upcoming future. Is is the the legend of the Thunderbird like really does fascinate me because you get so many accounts of it from multiple different tribes all across the country. There, there was a, a Native American that had a feather from one. Really, and it, he was given the feather, and. He was in the back of a truck, and the darn wind blew it out of his hand. Uh, of course, Some, something's going to take it away. <laughs> yeah, he carried it with him everywhere he went. Yeah, that's something that you would probably want to stick in a shadow box and put on your wall, and not ever take it anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, yeah, yeah. If you get something like that, you have to, you know, you have to make a pretty good plan on how it's handled right yeah. uh you know something that's rare is like if you had something that would prove that a bigfoot existed oh man i, I, I can't tell you how many people have claimed that they've lost their evidence by don't giving it to a museum thinking they would get it back right yeah. and, and they they swear they never received it mm-hmm. and Conveniently. yeah so it's gone you know the uh, Smithsonian. You know they, they people have sent things into the Smithsonian. Never and when saw that stuff again. starts to line up, like if it happened once or twice, that would be one thing. But it's almost like any time somebody says, "I have irrefutable proof. I'm going to send it to you." Poof, gone. Never going to see it again. That kind of leads me to believe that there might be some bigger players at work here trying to keep things quiet at times. Yeah, uh, I would say so. Yeah. Uh, that that. that you remember Ishii, the last truly wild person to come out of the woods in, oh, yeah. in 1911. He was right. he was the last of his tribe, and he came. He Alfred Krober, an anthropologist, uh, rescued him from the jail in Oroville, California, mm-hmm. and took him to uh, down to uh, the Phoebe Hearst Museum. Of anthropology at the University of California and he became an employee and he he, uh, he was became a civilized person I mean uh, they tried to get him to go back to his old hunting ground and he said they have no chairs there <laughs> uh, so uh, but when uh, he, the comfort of modern when he, when he passed away <laughs> 
uh, he told Alfred Kroeber that his religious beliefs required that he not be dissected, you know, no uh, no autopsy. Mm-hmm. And and Kroeber assured him that he had uh, tuberculosis, and uh, he passed away pretty quickly. And uh, Orrin Starn, the anthropologist Orrin Starn, was doing research on a, he was writing a book about Alfred Kroeber, mm-hmm. and he had all of his papers. And he found a letter between Alfred Kroeber and a Smithsonian stating that he was sending Ishi's brain to them. Oh. And uh, he, when he saw that, he knew that Ishii did not did not want that. Right. So he contacted the local Indian tribes and told them about it. And they contacted the Smithsonian and demanded to have the brain back and re- so they could reinter it and with his with, with the rest of his remains. Uh, they denied having it. Go figure. Oh, well, then they produced the letter. Mm-hmm. And then they got a, a brain at least. Right. Shipped to them. But that just goes to show you there's there's some shady stuff going on with all of this, you know. But it, it came it came from out of a vat of with thirty five other brains floating around and so from out of hide. You know that they, they have over eighteen thousand Native American skeletons. And they're immune to the repatriation act. Uh they are you gotta remember that it's it's not a scientific institution. It it they hire some scientists, have a few on staff, but mainly they're a collection. Yes, that's true. They're for collect. They collect things. Yeah. Uh, they can't get enough. Yeah. And they they had a man running the Smithsonian by the name of Alice Herlishka, and he was like a modern day Doctor Frankenstein. <laughs> I mean, he believed in uh, what do you call that when you can tell the person's intelligence by the shape of his head? With eugenics. Oh yeah. He believed in eugenics, <laughs> and you know he was trying to prove that Native Americans were less human, three fifths of a human, is what he said they were. Uh, you, you see what I mean? In, yeah, in other right. words, it was just a, uh, a gimmick to get around the, the the laws that were set out by the founding fathers for people. Right, so they could do whatever citizens. they wanted. They were, they could, right, once you established that they were not a full person, you, you could slave them or work them or beat them. Or, or not return the proper brain to its owner. Or not, <laughs> right, right uh, any, all of that. It, Ishii never got studied either. He, he, uh, Kroeber studied him a little bit, but he he had he had a uh, a release for his arrow that he plucked the string of the bow with his thumb. No Native American people anywhere on North American continent did that. That's interesting. the The people who did it were Mongolians. Really? Mongolians had a, a wooden ring they'd put on their thumb, and they'd pluck that string. That's right. I didn't even think about that. Uh, okay. And so they have no idea, but they, they, know, they know that there is a connection between Ishii and Mongolia. 
but he would never talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Ishii's not even his name. Uh, Krober gave him that name in some Indian language. It means man. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wouldn't talk about anything to them. He was. It was. It's like name, rank, and serial number, or something. You know. So just in what we've discussed uh, today already, like we can definitely, uh, we can definitely say that a, a lot of history has been lost, and so we may not ever be able to retain some of that knowledge. But heading back to Sasquatch, you personally, have you ever had any uh, potential interactions or? Well, in, in at Bluff Creek in two thousand and five. Me and my friend and another friend, it's called Donnie Ken, we got up at the crack of dawn and we crossed the creek. And I looked down and in the creek was a little fetus, an umbilical cord. I took it to be a fetus anyway. Mm -hmm. It looked like a fetus and had two little appendages and it was laying in the water and I told them about it and they came back over and uh, Ken went and got a Ziploc bag we put it in a Ziploc bag and we went on up on the mountain we were going to go up up the mountain there and we went up in the mountain we found this what we call a lair it had been used by a Sasquatch there were tracks all in it. There was uh, a dead deer in there. Uh, and we we came back down. I t- they they had to do something for their feet. There, uh, One of them, uh, Ken, had polio as a child, and he had a lot of trouble of his feet. And, and uh, Don stayed up there with him, and I came down by myself. Just came down the mountain. Came out in the creek, crossed the creek, and on the other side is a trail. And I went back down the trail, and I went back out into the creek and was just going to wait there for them. And uh, I filmed down the creek, and I filmed up the creek. And I didn't think anything of it. Um, They finally came out, came up the creek filmed them and then we went to the vehicles and uh, I came home and I had a friend of mine that he had lost his job and he was in he was a photographer and he was he worked for uh, what's the name Kinko's mm-hmm. and uh, he was gonna he was their scan man you know tech uh, and he wanted to start a company, you know, uh, selling uh, stock footage, mm-hmm. stock pictures, yeah. things like that. I said, well, I, I got some film of Northern California. You're welcome to use it. And But he took it that I was giving it to him. He kept my videos and stuff for like seven years. Oh, good God. And I had to go through a third person to get him to get sent them back to me. And finally he did. And so I had never looked at the video. Yeah. So I I put it on my player there. And there was something moving in the shadows. 
it was white and I stopped and I clicked frame by frame and it was a an individual and it had a like a towel or something you got her about a couple of months earlier there had been fires in that area and firefighters were in there and it had they had left this cloth I guess because this Bigfoot had it hmm. and it had wrapped something in the cloth that was animated it was like huh. yeah and it put it down over here like this and then I hear two rocks go and when it did this thing it backed up into the brush and pulled that brush around it that is crazy I, ne I never saw it I was looking through this little, you know, little video screen, the LCD right, yeah. screen, and I look at that. I had walked within about 10 or 15 feet of it. Never knew it was there. Oh, man. And evidently, that must have been the source of that little fetus. Uh, but Don, Don said the thing spoiled and was stinking real bad and he just threw it away. So I wish we had maybe cut it open right there. I, I, I photographed it and everything. Yeah. Filmed it. But I, I should, I, I have lots of regrets about that trip because I didn't even know I, 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 have a, I was completely oblivious to the fact that I had filmed anything out of the ordinary. That's usually how it happens, you know, though, isn't it? <laughs> uh, but this thing, once I once I brightened the video up, it was kind of in the shadows, uh, where you could see it good. It was had a complete coat of hair. It had f these ridiculously long feet, uh, and you could even see the toenails because he had the feet sideways when he was squatting down. That's amazing. Uh, and you said it was, it was white fur, yeah? No, no, it wasn't white fur. It was a white piece of cloth. Okay, and I, I take like that. Magic, yeah. It could have been just been br a bright color, uh, but you know when you, when you're, you know, it, it was reflecting light enough for for, to, for, for to, a photograph will sometimes right. absorb a lot light from a bright source. Mm -hmm. When you know the iris will open up because everything's dark, but that one spot is bright and mm -hmm. it gets overexposed. Right. You know. Yeah. So uh, that's probably it. Probably wasn't actually white, but it appeared white. Uh, but it was wrapping it around something that was. It was going like this in its hand, you know. And then it set it down right there. And there, there had to be another one there with him because the knock, the knock, two rocks going together, and it was like a instant signal. It it took action instantly when it heard that. Mm -hmm. uh, so I have that video. Is there any way that uh, you might be willing to share that with us? Sure, okay. sure. I think the only uh, the only thing potentially close to uh, an encounter with me um, is my team was up on Brown Mountain in North Carolina. Uh, I want to say that was October of last year, and you know the. Uh, uh, Linville Gorge in particular and then Brown Mountain, Table Rock, all that it's it's known for having some 
pretty wild local folklore. You have the Brown Mountain Lights. You have the stories of the yeah, the I've heard of them. Braves, which I have seen the Brown Mountain Lights before, and they are spectacular. But the uh, when we were there once, um, it was in the middle of the night, and everybody was kind of dying down. We had a campfire going, and we were discussing how like the yes, this place is also known for some Sasquatch sites. And so I made just a, a joke of like, well, let's go knock on some trees, see if we get any responses. And so I picked up a rock and I knocked two times on a tree just as hard as I could. And five seconds later, I hear another one probably a half a mile away do the exact same thing. I don't really know what, what they mean. You know, there's a lot of people who claim that they know uh, what certain knocks they call wood knocks or what they mean. You know, three knocks means this, and one knock means this. But I really don't know how you could tell for sure Unless without without them telling us. Telling yeah, yeah. You know. Excuse me, Mr. Bigfoot, can you tell me about the knocks? I've got no <laughs> doubt that they do that, uh, and I've heard them myself in the woods. Yeah. Uh, so I don't. I don't have any doubt that they do it. Uh, I've I've heard I've heard lots of stuff in the woods, you know. When you go to these, some of these places, like Bluff Creek, is I've never gone to Bluff Creek and found nothing. <laughs> right. There's always something, some sign. The last time, look, they were all in there. Uh, they had piled up these huge piles of uh, sugar pines cones. They're these huge pine cones this long, mm-hmm. and they have on each one of the little little what bristles whatever you call them they have a little little bit of pine tar right and they evidently are are harvesting the pine tar that's what i think anyway uh they there was a trail leading from that pile down the mountain where they had been bringing them up it was not even a not even a pine tree around you know they, they made this pile uh, which we stole about half the pile. They're probably <laughs> mad at us. <laughs> you got Don't anger the Sasquatch. <laughs> I, I told my friend, I said, we're not going down that trail because they, this fresh, this is fresh stuff. I mean, there were tracks all over the place. And, uh, and then later on we found this memorial I, I it's the only way I can describe it they they stack stones around the base of a tree leaned a stick that they had you know broken off mm-hmm. against the tree and then stacked those bristle cones those not bristle cones but those sugar sugar pine mm-hmm. cones uh, they mean something to them I, I don't know what it means yeah, I was like, well, why why you want to see one? Place? I got one here. You, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Give sure. me a minute. I'll, I'll bring it in. Okay. They don't have them around here like that. Yeah, big old guys. Okay. They mean something to them. I don't, I don't know what it means. But maybe it's the pine tar. Well, that's what I was wondering. Like, I because it see, from, there's there's pine tar right there. See, it's then got dried out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You see it on back right there. See, it's kind of glistening. Yeah. I don't know why. I mean, it could potentially have something to do with the uh, their shelters, maybe. Uh, I I don't know, but they they have some kind of significance because they these were memorials. 
I, I, you could tell it was a, a marker of grief or something uh, that they had these stacked out. Yeah, they, they don't have them like that. Believe me, it's, they're not common there. Uh, that that California's got some strange pines. They got one pine tree that they uh, uh, cones grow on the trunk. Huh. <laughs> okay, that's weird. I'm yeah, it's pretty strange. Yeah. <laughs> For me, it is. Yeah. Well, the West Coast is just chock full of interesting plant life. Yeah, well, that, that, like I said, that, that if you got if you, those kind of energies, you know, there's no telling how it affects growth and how things, the genetics of things. Yeah. You know, they got the giant salamander growing there. Right. You know, and, uh, and redwoods that red, are right. Huge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's some there's some intense energies out there. It'd, it'd be interesting to, you know, hopefully the the further that we we delve into this, because the you know the story of the Sasquatch that's never going to go away. But each decade we get better at picking up evidence. We get better at looking at things crucially. So who knows? Like maybe in a couple more decades we might actually get to the point where we can not only understand Sasquatch better, but the lands that it inhabits and why they're so intense with energy right right it's 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 a uh, certain certain areas that they 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 are attracted to mm-hmm. the california is northern california sure one of them but it really all the way up uh, yeah. those those mountains on the coast the the cascades and uh, we went to mount shasta mount shasta's got a Tremendous reputation for Bigfoot activity. Uh, we went over there, and uh, there's a river there named the McLeod River. And up and down that thing, there's people that camp there, they come and visit at night, mm-hmm. holler and stuff. And it's uh, it's just they they see other things there too, UFOs and. Uh, they, they, a guy went into a cave system there and swore that he came out at the at the uh, upper end of the Bluff Creek. Hmm. <laughs> that, that got my attention. Right, it's because you know, cave systems yeah, here. Okay. Uh, right. uh, well, if you look at the Patterson film, it's not the it's not the the, the look back part. It's the very first part of the film that they often don't even show it. Right, the first it, few steps. Yeah, into because the it's jumping around and you know violently shaking, but uh, it's got a few really good crisp frames in that part, and uh, one of them he's looking straight up at her from below her. You know, she's up uh, up here, he's down below a bank. Mm-hmm. You can see the separation of the glutes and the inside. The hair's worn off. Yeah. Which tells you that it does a lot of scooting around. Yeah, sit on his butt. <laughs> you know, uh, so it's it's in a tight place. Right. Yeah. You know, an overhang or a cave. Uh, the the cave system is extensive. There, it goes. That's what you call the foothills of the Siskiyou Mountains, uh, which includes Shasta. You know, Shasta. They're all together. Uh, so. Uh, the guy, I don't doubt that somehow or another he managed to pull that off. Yeah. He swears he did. Uh, but if if 
if they have that, you, I could I could understand why they could quickly disappear through an underground system coming up there at Shasta. You know, I mean, it would it would make sense that like because anything that's living out in uh, the forest to that level of like this is my home, they're gonna know everything about the place. Everything about we we saw there was a creek coming, uh, a little brook coming down the side of the mountain. It goes through that through that lair I was telling you about. Mm-hmm. And the, the lair is like a f- completely flat area hidden on the side of the mountain. Uh, it's carpeted with ferns and it has this little waterfall, fresh water coming in and then it comes out, goes down the hill. We followed it and it does not go into the creek. It goes into a hole in the ground and disappears. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Now where's it going? It's going somewhere. Bigfoot knows. <laughs> no doubt. That's fascinating. Megan, I know that you're listening to this right now, so obviously we're going to have to talk to MK here uh, whenever we do our cryptid hunting in the Pacific Northwest in the next couple of years. <laughs> well, that, uh, just just uh, uh, give me a call or something. I can uh, give you some pointers, that's for sure. Absolutely. No, I, we'll definitely pick your brain whenever we set that trip up. Well, MK, I want to thank you so much for uh, sitting down with me today. This has been a, a wonderful conversation. Sure thing. I would love to have you back on again because we are going to be tackling um, uh, Sasquatch Legends a couple more times throughout the course of 2023. Uh, we'd love to have your input on Sure. Okay. I'd like to thank MK for coming on and sharing his experiences. And, oh, man. I hope we can get him back on soon because the stories he shared after I stopped recording are going to blow your mind. Truly wild stuff. Before we wrap up, I have a few things I wanted to share with you. As you know, season three is in the works. This will be a little bit different from last season, but you won't notice it until we are approaching the end when we will effectively set the XV Planus formula in stone for at least the next five years. We'll have more info and teasers coming for you over the next couple of weeks. Second point to make, if you're available July 14th through 16th and would be interested in doing a paranormal investigation in Cripple Creek, Colorado, drop me a line at xvplanus at gmail.com. This group is limited to 25, and we're almost halfway there, so if you're feeling adventurous and want to explore a massive haunted location with us and an eclectic group of investigators, then send an email and we'll see if we can get you into the mix. I think that's about it for now. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everywhere as XV Planus, and you can follow my personal misadventures and music projects at Folds and Floods on those same platforms. Links for both are in the show notes. If you like what we do here, head on over to iTunes or Spotify to rate and especially review us, and tell your friends about us. Tell your families about us. Hell, yell at random people at the bus stop about us. We are a DIY independent production, and the only way that we will grow is by word of mouth and by you, our fans. And you can support us by going to www.patreon.com xvplanus and subscribing to gain access to our exclusive content, including the Patreon-only series, Transmissions from the Void, where I interview people from all walks of life about their own paranormal experiences. Be sure to check out all of the great shows on the Green Mushroom Podcast Network, like Grognostics, Ad Hoc History, Unearthing Paranormalcy, and so many more. You can find them by going to www.tgmpodcastnetwork.com. This show is produced in Durham, North Carolina, and is written, edited, and scored by yours truly. 
Music from the show can be found on my Bandcamp page for Folds and Floods or anywhere you stream your music. High praise and many thanks to Sonny Sulak and Wrencher Land for our updated logo. And many thanks and mad love to Megan Winning, who manages most of our social media, allowing me to put my focus on the production angle of this madhouse. No part of this show or its music may be reproduced without consent. Copyright Folds and Floods Productions. Once again, I am your host, Flood, and this has been XV Planus. Thank you for being a part of the journey so far. I'll see you in the between. In Abambratio. In Fluctus. Subvelo. <laughs>